Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. This morning, we're going to do an overview and touch on just a few highlights from Jeremiah chapter 30 through chapter 33. And they are some really interesting chapters. But I'd like to springboard off of something that Mr. Toole was just sharing with us a few moments ago. You know, we need to be sharing the gospel all the time. And you know, one thing that's amazing about Jeremiah is that everywhere he was at and everything that he ever did, he always was tying it back to teaching people the truths of God. And God was always interested in using the things that were going on in his life to illustrate truths and messages that God had for his people. And today we're going to learn about some of those, and it's really intriguing. But before we do that, let us bow in prayer and ask the Lord to teach us this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for the truth that you have given to us, not only recording for us historical events, but teaching us from events that took place in the past, sermons preached to people long ago. May we learn from them here today in this time. And Lord, we thank you this morning that you are ever faithful, that you are ever true. And as we consider some of the promises that you made to the nation of Israel, may we be encouraged that you are a God who is faithful. You are a God who keeps your promises. And may that truth and reality be true to us today. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we have come to learn about Jeremiah in lots of different situations, haven't we? Last time we saw Jeremiah, where was he? Does anybody remember? Where was he, Elijah? He was in jail. Now, normally I put this over there, and I put it over there in that door, but this morning I just put it right out here because, you know, we're going to move all around this, but I want it to be a continual reminder. I didn't want to preach the whole lesson from over there because Jeremiah is in jail, and he's kind of confined, but I don't want us to lose track of the fact that he is in prison. Where are we at? Let's look again here at our timeline. We can see Jeremiah, the black bar there. We can see he, where he's at, and you see where the yellow bar, that's about where we're at. So Jeremiah's had many years of ministry, and you can tell it's very close to the end of the nation of Israel in 586 B.C., isn't it? In fact, if we zoom in a little bit closer, or if we look here at the timeline of events, Already 606 B.C. has come when Daniel, his three friends, have been carried away captive. The princes of Judah have been carried away captive. That's already happened. Then in a few years later, in 597 B.C., there was a second deportation where 10,000 of the tradesmen and the workers were carried away captive, including Ezekiel and Mordecai. That's already happened. And all this time, Jeremiah has been preaching and warning the people to submit to the king Nebuchadnezzar. Don't rebel against him. Submit to him and live, Jeremiah has said. But they haven't listened to him. They haven't listened to him. And in fact, when we open to chapter 32 later on, we're going to find out. Remember last week, there was this little, these secret exchanges between Zedekiah and Jeremiah going on. And it, and it seemed as if Jeremiah really wanted to know what the Lord said, but then it didn't seem like he wanted to know what the Lord said. Well, we find out again today that Zedekiah the king didn't really want to know what the Lord said because even though it kind of seemed as if other people put Jeremiah in jail, we find out it was really all the king too. 
he didn't really want to know what the Lord had to say, unless what the Lord had to say tickled his ears and made him happy. That was Zedekiah's problem. But that's, this is where we're at right now. We're between the 597 and the 586 B.C., but let me tell you even more of where we're at, because coming is that third deportation and that final destruction of Jerusalem. But if we zoom in here and you see the red bar there, and you can see Zedekiah, the last blue bar there, his 11-year reign there, we have come to the very end of Zedekiah's reign. The last three years of Zedekiah's reign, Jerusalem had been besieged. Nebuchadnezzar's army had come to Jerusalem and had surrounded that city, not letting anyone out and not letting anyone in. No food was coming in to the city of Jerusalem. The situation in Jerusalem is really, 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 really bad. And Jeremiah continues to warn that destruction's coming. In fact, he's already telling the people, as we learned last week, go out to the Babylonians and submit to them. And that's what really made everybody mad at him. And so now he's still in this jail, and he has some sermons to preach. Jeremiah chapter 30, we're going to do just a brief overview of these chapters, so I beg you to be sure to go home and to read all of these chapters if you haven't already here recently. Jeremiah, these, these chapters, Jeremiah 30 through 33, go together. They're not all the same. They're, they are split up. 30 and 31 is one part, then 32 is its own, and then 33. But it's intriguing that they're all put right together with each other. And we find out in Jeremiah chapter 30 what we've heard hints of throughout time. And that is that judgment will come and there will be a captivity of 70 years and this sounds like a terrible thing, but actually we find out that much of this is being presented to the nation of Israel because they're in a position of despair. Things are bad. People are starving. Their houses have been destroyed. Their vineyards outside the city have been ripped up. Nebuchadnezzar's army would come down and they wouldn't just hack down the olive trees because you can't kill an olive tree by just hacking it down. They were uprooting them. They were causing havoc and trouble and destruction all over Judah. Everything was falling apart, and it was terrible, terrible, terrible. And here Jeremiah, who's been warning this would happen, tells people, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. God is going to bring you back to this land. And in fact, when we then come to chapter 31, there's a disaster. For we look at verse 1, it says, At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. This is big news for a people who feel that they've been abandoned by the Lord. But he says, oh no. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him rest. Throughout these passages, God talks all through the history, going way back to when he called the people from the land of Egypt and brought them to this promised land. He continues to remind them of all of this history. And he reminds them even now when they feel like they've been abandoned. For it tells us in verse 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. 
Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, that's a famous verse, isn't it? We've even memorized that verse. I hope you've memorized that verse. It's in our verses we memorize. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness have I drawn thee, God says. Well, now you know the history and the story behind it. Jerusalem is besieged. People are starving. People are dying. People feel like Jehovah has forsaken them. And in the midst of this, even with Jeremiah himself in jail, how many of you would think, and while you're in jail, oh, for doing nothing wrong, for just preaching truth, how many of you think you would be encouraged to be reminded of the words of the Lord who has appeared of old, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Do you think that would encourage you? This famous verse didn't come from some great king sitting in his palace. This great and famous verse came from a prophet who spent time in the mire and is behind bars in the prison of Jerusalem. Oh, how much that verse should be an encouragement to us. He continues on to say about how he's, he's going to take the people who are in just despair, and there's going to be celebrations. There's going to be celebrations. And, and the things that have been yanked up, the plants, God says they're going to be planted. And People are going to sing with gladness and they're going to shout for joy and they're going to praise the Lord because a remnant is going to return. Right now, Jerusalem and the region around Jerusalem, the people are perishing. They're dying. They're fleeing. We don't understand it because we don't have an enemy nation surrounding us. But all the suburban homes outside Jerusalem, the villas, the rich people's homes, the farmers' homes, they've been ransacked. They've been taken over. They've either been destroyed or they're now occupied by the cruel Babylonians. They've devoured the fruit. They've devoured the wheat. They've devoured the livestock. It's empty. And here Jeremiah, knowing that's going on, he's in this jail himself, and he's telling people, the day is coming. If you look here in chapter 31, verse 27, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man, and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. God says he's going to do something really special. Here are these regions and these lands that are destitute of the beasts and the livestock. The flocks have all been devoured and are gone. And the people have been dispersed and are dead. 
those places are going to be filled with people. God says he's going to sow the land with men. We don't have time this morning to go into it, but we're going to come back and look at another part or a theme of, of this passage later. But what we find here is that God is wanting to make a new covenant with his people, the nation of Israel. And we find some promises made to Israel that are really special. And it's very sad in modern times when Christian people, many who profess to believe the Bible, take these promises to Israel and have twisted them, have disregarded them, have taken and said that they don't apply to the seed of Jacob or to Israel. They, they, they apply to the church. But then it doesn't make sense that they would apply to the church. And they twist them all up to the point where they're unrecognizable. And what's horrific about it, the real, real serious, horrific problem is, is that it calls into question the honesty of God. And if God couldn't keep promises to Israel, can he keep promises to us? And so this morning, as we learn about some of these incredible promises, which we look at them now and we say, these must, these must be promises that yet to be fulfilled. Maybe these are the promises that will be fulfilled in that kingdom that's prophesied in Revelation that will last a thousand years when Jesus will reign. I suggest to you that so many of the promises made in Jeremiah chapter 30 through 33 are calling us to that day. Well, actually, we have it literally talked about later on where there's the seed of David spoken of as the king, but I'm getting ahead of myself. All of these promises are amazing for Israel and for Judah. And you might say, well, they don't have anything to do with us. Well, don't be like that. That's just as bad as the people who say that, I don't know, you can't do that. We have to look at the promises and be really excited for the sake of Israel to be excited to know who our God is and how faithful and true he is. Even when it seems hopeless, all of these promises are coming when Jeremiah is in jail, when the Babylonians have besieged the city, when none of these things even come or seem to be remotely true. But will God keep his promise? Will the people here? Will the people here? The people feel as if they've been cast off. And, you know, we've read and seen how Jeremiah has prophesied and warned them. Judgment's coming and judgment's coming. And all of this that's happening is now being fulfilled. And while Jeremiah is in jail now, because nobody likes what he's saying, he's not just preaching judgment. He's preaching hope. He's preaching, wait, look, look here. In Jeremiah 31, verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Did any of you get excited reading that, hearing that verse read? Boy, I sure am excited. You see, he's talking here about some things he's created, like the heavens. Ethan, could you close those blinds to see these, some of these pictures I'd like to show you so we can see them a little clearer? Here we have the heavens. And, and, and Jeremiah here is saying that the Lord is the one who giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. 
The Lord of hosts is his name. You see the sun? You see the planets? Did you know that the creator, the Lord, the God, put each of these in the heavens? And they move to exacting, precise ways? Mathematicians and scientists study them. And it's intriguing of how they learn things about it. How many of you worried this morning or last night that the sun wouldn't come up? None of you worried that the sun would not come up this morning. Do you know why? You may not know why, but do you know why you didn't have to worry about it? Because the creator is faithful. Because the one who created the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, created everything, he is faithful. He is so dependable that you could go and you could watch the sunset and you could know exactly when it sets. I took this video a few years ago and my wife and I went on a little retreat down to the ocean. And every day we'd walk, oh, 8 to 12 miles along that coast. As we'd come, we'd watch the sunset. And I downloaded a really interesting app on my phone that told me the exact time that the sun would set. So every day we'd look it up because we had to make sure that when we went on our long hikes that we'd make it back to our car in time before it got dark. And we'd go on these long hikes and we'd want to watch when is the sun going to set. And this video I took one day because I was so intrigued because the previous three days, you know, my phone told me, it would, my phone would calculate where we were at on the earth and would calculate our elevation, how high we were. Here you can see we're at sea level. And it would calculate this for us and then it would tell us to the exact second when the sun would set. And every day we tested it. Because, you know, here we got trees and things that we can't see exactly when the sun sets. But, but watch that little sun. Watch it. The sun is setting. And we were watching our clocks. And you know, the scientists predicted the exact second that sun would set. And every day we kept watching it. And you know what? Even though the time changed on different days, the scientists had been able to calculate exact second that the sun would set. I had to take a video of it on the last day before we went home. I was so amazed. I'm sitting here watching my phone, which is, which is linked up to, you know, the, the, I don't know what clocks exactly, but linked up to a particular clock. And then we're watching the sun. You see that ball? It's getting ever so small. God is so faithful so faithful that every day that sun sets at a very precise moment in time. He is so faithful that scientists have been able to observe how the earth moves in relation to the sun to be able to predict today, tomorrow, next year, and a hundred years in the future, the precise and the exact moment that sun sets. You can see it's still there. It's, you see it? Can you see it? Ever so small, it's still there. But it's getting smaller, and it's getting smaller. It's, it's setting, and, and... It's gone.
you might think, what's so exciting about that? That's awesome. I can't keep my clock wound. <laughs> and yet, for how many thousand years has the Creator caused that sun to set at the precise, exact moment that He has ordained? That's awesome. That's the reason why the psalmist could say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. See, this is so exciting that when men have lost a focus on the creator, they start to worship the sun. Oh, we can't do that. When we see this glorious illustration... When we see this glorious illustration, it shouldn't cause us to want to worship the sun. It should cause us to worship the creator and to also recognize that when he has made promises, when he has given statements and truths to Israel, they're going to come to pass. When he makes promises and truths to you and to me, it's going to come to pass because he is faithful. And when you see the sunset exactly as he ordained it, Let's see, on the fourth day, ever since, that sun sets exactly when he says so. And he is so faithful and he is so consistent that we can predict it to the millisecond. I'm, I'm serious. We had our clocks and our phones and we were looking at them and the second timer was ticking and we'd seen the app and showing us when it would. And to the, we're holding it up and looking at it and to the very second that the mathematicians had calculated by observation, the sun disappeared. God is so faithful. It's amazing. And here in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah uses this, well, the Lord uses it with the words of Jeremiah, when he says, look at the, look at the stars that move. You know, we can navigate the world because we know exactly how the stars are moving. Look at the sun, look at the moon, look at the stars, and consider the waves that roar. Did, did you know that if it weren't for the heavens, particularly the moon, we'd have tsunami disasters every day on this earth? But because of the ordinances established in that moon, those waves are held back. And again, the scientists, the mathematicians can observe what God has done and what God has created and what God has ordered and can say the tide is going to happen right now. And it's absolutely amazing if you stand there. You can see the time when the waters start to come. I mean, I know it's waves and it's hard, but it's amazing. You can see when the waters are high, and you can see when they start to rescind. It's all, we're even able to predict it because our God is so faithful. And God uses the sun, and he uses the moon, and he uses the stars to, look what he says. Verse 36, Jeremiah 31, 36. If those ordinances... The ordinances of the moon and the stars, the sun and the waves. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Will the nation of Israel cease from being before the Lord forever? Well, the sun's still rising and setting. And the ordinances are still continuing as he created them. And so we know he will keep this promise he made to the nation of Israel. 
because he is faithful. And he is, oh, by the way, we got to jump across the page just, just because at this point here, I know it's all together, but if you look at Jeremiah 32, verse 27, he says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Here in the midst of all of this, wondering if God is able and capable of doing this, is there anything too hard for him? You know, a scientist, well, I shouldn't say a scientist, I shouldn't claim to be a scientist. Scientists have been able to understand the moon precisely too. You know, the moon has its phases of when it waxes, when it's full, when it wanes, when it's new, and the cycle repeats every 30 days. So much so that we are able to put it on a clock. I inherited a beautiful grandfather clock from my grandma, and it sits in our living room. And last night, I went to wind it, and I looked at the moon dial. And for the longest time, this is a working moon dial. Sometimes they are just printed on there just for decoration. Shows how much we actually pay attention to what's going on around us. But anyway, this is a working moon dial. But most of the time over the years, I've totally ignored it. But these last few years, I've started to take into consideration that, you know, I think I ought to pay attention to the moon. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. And when I wind my clock, which has to be wound once a week, and I'm not very faithful at doing this because sometimes I miss it. And you know how you know I missed it? It's because I've been keeping that moon dial set. But you see the moon dial there last night when I set it? How many of you follow the moon? Is it right? It ain't right because it should have looked like this. Because tonight is a new moon. It should have been just a wee waning, just the last night of the waning moon is what it was last night. And today is a, is a new moon. But you know, as I set my clock each week, and one reason I like a wound clock is because it's a time to do something that's important. It's a time for us to pray, for me at least, to pray. Lord, teach me to number my days. Each time I have to wind that clock or when I forget to, it reminds me that a week has passed. A week has passed. And that just a few moments is a very important time for me to wind my clock. But more importantly, to number my days. And I've started to make sure that the moon is set correctly. And you know why I'm starting to do that? So at the same time that I'm praying and asking the Lord to teach me to number my days, that I may apply wisdom, that I remind myself that God is faithful. And that even if I've missed winding this clock, the moon keeps on its cycle absolutely perfect. Hey, I love the clock designers. They designed this so that if it was kept wound, it would work and it would stay on. I'm not too faithful. That's how you see it. Got behind how many days? I think about four days. And that might have just been because it stopped in the night and the next morning it got wound. But you see all of this. It's a reminder to us, and things like this should be reminders to us, just like it was for Jeremiah, that God is faithful. God is faithful. The moon follows its course just as God ordained, just as he designed, and it is so predictable that engineers could design a clock to keep track of it month after month after month. Our God keeps his promises. Our God keeps his promises. Well, now we turn to Jeremiah 32. And you might not be so sure about God's promises. You might be thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> this guy think he is 
this Jeremiah in jail telling everybody, God's good. How many of you would listen to the preacher who's in jail telling you God's good? God's faithful. God will keep his promises. Well, God's going to use another illustration for Jeremiah to prove to all the people in Jerusalem that God is good. He's locked up here, and at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 32, it reviews for us how he got here. And it wasn't any wrongdoing of his own. It was because he was a preacher of the truth, and people didn't like what he had to say. And now he's also been preaching truth of hope. And God comes to Jeremiah one day, and he reveals to him something in that jail, that court of the prison. He says, you're going to get a visitor. Your cousin is going to come visit you. He's going to sell you a piece of land. Now, here's what's intriguing. Jerusalem is besieged. Jeremiah, his family, a priestly family, came from a town just north of Jerusalem. One of the laws in the land is that before you could sell it to a stranger, you could sell it to anyone else, you had to come and you had to offer it to one who was a part of that family, the extended family. We don't have time to go into all the details of the law, but it was a specific law. So Jeremiah has a cousin who wants to sell a piece of property, but he needs to start with offering it to everyone in the family. And so Jeremiah is told that this is going to take place. And so here he is in jail. And it tells us that his uncle's son comes to him to offer this piece of land, the right of the redemption to buy it. Hey, look, it's my cousin. Now here, this is kind of funny. Have you ever visited somebody in jail or talked to him in jail? It's always a hard conversation because there's people all around and you get this kind of like trying to, you can't really talk in confidence. Everybody's eavesdropping on the conversation or could be eavesdropping on the conversation. So here, Jeremiah, he wants everybody eavesdrop because he knows this is coming and he's going to use it to teach a lesson to all of the people who are here and are eavesdropping. Hi, cousin. Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the rights of the inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. What good is a field going to do a guy in jail? Hey, don't go away. I want that land. What good is it going to do a guy in jail? Anybody have any ideas? Oh, let me ask you. What good is it going to do? when it's been ransacked by the Babylonians. Any of you in the market for buying a house? Buying any land? Do you have certain criteria about buying a house, buying a land? Well, I do. I want to know the neighborhood. I want to know the condition of the house. I want to know all about it. Well, you know, how about let's just imagine this is a house that's for sale. Maybe perhaps this house is on that field that you want to sell me, cousin. Maybe here. That looked like a nice house? Yeah, yeah. 
Now, just imagine for a moment something like this. Here is a very beautiful, nice house. Um, that was before it got bombed. This is what it looked like after it got bombed. Here's an analogy of what was going on in Judah. For in fact, even in these chapters, Jeremiah speaks of the houses and the lands being made heaps. See, the one is a house. The other is a heap. You know, Jeremiah knows this. Jeremiah knows that the Babylonians have ripped up the vineyards and ripped up the olive trees. And here he knows that his cousin's coming and offering to him his precious things. In Lamentations, which Jeremiah wrote, he laments the fact that the people were selling their precious things for bread. That's what you're doing. He's selling his land, which is kind of, well, let's put it this way. It isn't in a good neighborhood anymore. It's in the occupied Babylonian neighborhood. How many of you want to buy land occupied by the Babylonians? Nope, not me. Like, how many of you want to occupy land that, or how many of you want to buy land that's occupied by the worst gain in South Bend? Any of you want to buy that? Oh, come on. That's kind of what's being offered here. Not a good deal. Not a good deal. But you know what? Jeremiah is going to buy it. So even though he's in jail, he calls for all the people needed to bring this to pass. So, you know, just like today, we need some important people. Who wants to be the recorder? Anybody want to be a recorder? Come on up here, you can be the recorder. Who wants to be the notary? You guys don't even know what these things are. Oh, come on up here, Philip, you can be the notary. Oh, Philip's going to like being the notary, and you're going to help him out. There's a, the notary's going to do fun stuff. You're going to be the recorder. You're, you're important. You like being important? Okay. And where, where did the notary go? Hurry, 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 notary, come. But then there, we also need to have some witnesses. Mr. Notary. You probably don't even know what that is. Go stand over there by the Mr. Recorder. And we need witnesses. Anybody want to be a witness? Anybody want to? Come on, come on. You can come be the witness. Who are these guys? Well, I'm going to buy a piece of land. But in order for me to buy a piece of land, um, it's got to be done real. You know, we're not just going to do a handshake on this deal. We, we might do a handshake. Or we might exchange sandals. You know, that's the way they did handshakes. But we're going to be even more official than that. We're going to do some paperwork. How many of you have a deed? I have a deed. Here's a copy of it. I have a deed. Here's a copy of it. And my, oh my, look at that. It's just loaded with, this is only the front page with signatures. It's got a signature here, and it's got a stamp and a seal up in the right corner. It's got another stamp and a seal down at the bottom corner. Why, it looks like everybody touched this. That's exactly right. I wanted everybody to touch it. In fact, I even went to some extra work. I mean, look it. When I bought my house, all this paperwork going through. You know why? And this isn't even half of it. I decided not to waste the papers on the title insurance. You know, I wanted to make sure that when I bought my house, it was crystal clear that it belonged to me. 
And so I made sure that the seller signed it. I made sure he was an authorized officer. I made sure that the recorder got a hold of this and that the recorder sealed it. I wanted to make sure every part of it was taken care of. And oh, I wanted to make so sure that it was all taken care of, that when the seller did it, that he went before a notary. Were you the notary? Yeah, and the notaries made sure that the seller was who he said he was to make sure that when he signed it, it was actually him that signed it. All kinds of people touched this piece of paper. I love the fact I found my grandparents have a book in their house of their property. They don't do this anymore, but they have a book that traces all of the deed history of their property all the way back to when the President of the United States issued it as a land grant in the 1800s. And you know the name Bellevue, or uh, not Bellevue, um, Battelle, Battelle in Mishawaka, Battelle Park, Battelle Community Center, all the Battelle Battelles, when it was a land grant to Mr. Joseph Battelle, and they have a book that stack that goes back and traces the entire lineage and history of that land all the way back to when it was first a land grant from the President of the United States. These are important. These are important. It's so important that when I heard that it had gotten filed, because see, I didn't sign it. All of everybody else did. And they told me it was all taken care of. And you know what? I believed them, but I made sure to verify it. I marched on down to the recorder's office, and I went up there, and they looked at me weird when I asked for a copy of it. They just didn't want to go to the records and pull it out for me. And I stood there and said, I sure want a copy of my deed. And they made me a copy of it rather grumbly because I wanted to make sure that indeed it had been taken care of. I was actually quite horrified, just so y'all know, that it wasn't normal to them for somebody to want to see that it actually had gotten notarized and filed. But anyway, it's another topic. I, I got my deed. You had to sign this for Jeremiah, and you had to witness it. You know, I don't know what all kinds of seals, but there were different parts of this. Did you know, I got a, did you know the church has a seal? You want to try it out? Let's imagine you're the notary. Can you hold that there? Oh, you need to, you're going to, this is what you're going to do with it. You're going to hold it like this, and then you're going to put it on the paper like this, and then you're going to squeeze it. Can you do that? Why don't you come over here? You guys want to see how this works? You guys ever seen a seal? Come here, come here. Here, take it, and now let's leave it on the table, and then you just push hard down on the top here. Push, push harder, 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 harder. Can I help you? There we go. Now, let's let up. Let's pull the, pull the paper out. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I think so, too. Do you see it? You want to do it? Here. Push down real hard. There we go. Oh, you got to do it harder. You see, these guys are witnessing that, indeed, this is official, right? That's what Jeremiah did. He both go, boy, that's an awful lot of trouble. Looky there, you did it. You want to try it? Let's wait, wait, wait. Now squeeze it really hard. Harder, 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 harder. I think you got it. Yeah, there it is. And just so we don't get carried away with this, we're going to rip it up. But Jeremiah didn't do that. No, Jeremiah wanted the deed. He wanted the title. He did all the paperwork. And you look at this. The document I had to sign, Evelyn and I had to initial this page, and then we had to initial this page, and we had to initial this page, and we had to initial this page, and this page, and this page, and this page. You get the point. 
all the way through all these papers. And then we get to the end, and then we have to sign it. Well, actually, there were two of these. We had to, we had to, we had to sign this one, and then we had to sign this one, and then we had to sign um, on this one, and then the county wanted us to sign another one, and the health department wanted to sign us another one. This is a big deal to buy a house. And I was a real stickler because I insisted I was going to read every page. And the realtor was like, nobody ever reads it. I'm like, I'm going to read it? Like, like, there's some scary stuff in here. I wonder if you did this to Jeremiah. Like, I did a cash offer. And um, by doing so, there were special rules that I had to sign away that I actually could pay the cash offer. And then, oh, Am I, going to do an, am I going to have an inspection done? Am I going to inspect for lead paint? Hey, you think that was a concern to Jeremiah? Jeremiah probably needed to do a Babylonian inspection. <laughs> and, and, and I got all these inspections that I, I waived or said I was going to do, and, and then I put earnest money. To, it's all official, official. And you read some, through down some of this, and it's just like some of the things that I agreed to and waived to, and it's, it's all there. Now imagine Jeremiah here. How's he going to do the inspections? He's in jail. But with all of this, he comes, he brings the paperwork, and Jeremiah makes sure that the recorder's there, he makes sure that witnesses are there, he makes sure that all of the important people are there, because Jeremiah is going to buy this land. And here he is, and this is intriguing. He's in the court of the prison, but it also talks about him being in the gate of the city. See, the gate of the city is where official business transactions took place and judicial issues took place. And so here he is. Everybody's coming in and out. All the important people are, and they're watching Jeremiah. You know what they're thinking of him? Crazy man. Crazy Jeremiah. Buying a piece of land in the occupied Babylonian community outside Jerusalem. Crazy, crazy Jeremiah. Is Jeremiah crazy? You see, Jeremiah is not crazy. You know why he's not crazy? Because Jeremiah has been prophesying to people, don't worry, 70 years you'll come back to your land. In 70 years. And so he signs all of this. He makes it all official. There's the public documents. There's the private documents. And Jeremiah says, take these, put them in a jar, a safe place, as a witness that God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises. I am so sure, Jeremiah says to the people, that God will keep his promises, that I am going to buy the occupied land. And you might say, you are crazy, Jeremiah. I mean, how many of you would buy land where it was occupied by an enemy? That's crazy. But it's not crazy when Jeremiah knew that this was only temporary because in the big picture of things, God's promises to Israel as a people, his promises regarding that land are sure, so sure that Jeremiah could buy land and he could have the documents archived. You know, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. How many of you know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are? 
Dead Sea Scrolls were preserved for a long, 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 long time because they were put into clay pots the way that they were in a dry place. That's what Jeremiah says needs to be done with this paperwork. Archive it in a safe place as a witness that this land is mine. I'm not quite sure of the long, I think the analogy breaks down somewhat for Jeremiah because he wasn't married and he had no kids. So exactly who it was going to go to? Still stay in the family. That's what's intriguing too because you know what may have been tempting to do at this time? And I have no evidence that this was taking place, but knowing how things work in war, it wouldn't surprise me. There were some Chaldees and Babylonians who were coming along buying up land, knowing for the future what they might have. And here Jeremiah is saying, nope, this is staying in the family. I'm confident that God will keep his promises. I'm signing the paperwork and it's witness of it. Isn't that exciting? How many of you guys, when you signed your paperwork, envisioned that this was something that was assigned to the people? How many of you witnessed to all those notaries when you were signing your paperwork? I have to say, I didn't do a very good job. I made a comment or two once when I was closing, but I should have taken more advantage of the opportunity to witness of the faithfulness of God. And you know, in all of our business, we need to be looking for those opportunities to be sharing the hope that we have in our Good Shepherd all the time and sharing the truth. Jeremiah here had a very particular message and reason for this object lesson, but I've been challenged. Everything I do ought to give me reason to proclaim the hope that is within me, the hope of Jesus Christ in everything, everything I do. Here's what Jeremiah did. Thank you, guys. Now you know what recorders and notaries do? Cool. I don't quite know what they all do yet. Been learning, though. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seats. In all of this, though, keep this in mind as you go. Remember, God keeps his word. Thank you, Micah. God keeps his promises. He is always true. And when you see the sun set and when you see the sun rise and when you see and are tempted to think that things are not as they should be or things are falling apart, be reminded that your God is faithful. Be reminded that just as he loved Israel with an everlasting love, he loves you. And just as he told Israel, my hand is strong and almighty and I can do what I'm promising to do for you, remember that he is still the same all-powerful Almighty God, and there is nothing too hard for him. As you go into the next chapter, Jeremiah chapter 33, he continues, we're going to have to come back and talk about the covenant side of things, but he again in that chapter reminds them of the fact that the land promise is there. He reminds them of the fact of his covenant with David, and again he reminds them of the heavens. When you see the heavens, don't worship the heavens. Worship the creator of the heavens. And worship him as the one who is faithful and all-powerful. In that passage, he even gets even more fascinating. He goes on to say, he says, he says I, 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 I got an opportunity. I'm going to put this in your hands. This is so fascinating. God says, God says just so you can try to try to break my promises. I'm going to give you an opportunity to break my promises. You think, what? God would do that? He didn't do it quite like that, but he said, if you can search the heavens out, then I'll break my promise. That isn't how he said it, but that's basically what he meant. 
Why did he say that? Because he says, I'm so great, I'm so powerful, I'm so infinite that even my finite creation, you as infinitely finite beings, can't even search out. If you can search out the heavens, then I'll break my promises I've made to David. Well, you know what that means? We won't ever search out the heavens because he won't break his promises to David. And this is what even gets even more thing. You might think, oh, well, okay, God said a really hard thing to do. We kind of are starting to figure out that the heavens are, yeah, we ain't got a chance to figure out, search out all the heavens, even with our telescopes. God says, okay, I'll make it a little easier for you. If you can search out the foundations of the earth, I'll break my covenant with David and with Jacob. Guess what? You might think, oh, well, that's easy. That's right here on the earth. We'll just dig down and search out the foundations of the earth. You know how close we've gotten? Well, in the big picture, about that far. It won't happen. We won't be able to. God is guaranteed faithful. There's nobody, there's nothing that can break his promises his covenants. And so when you see the sunrise, when you see the moon in its phases, remember. Remember God's words through Jeremiah. And if you could turn with me as we close to a very famous passage. You know we sing, great is thy faithfulness. Do you know where it comes from? Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 23. You know what lamentations are? Lamentations are cryings, weepings, because we're so bad. And in the midst of all of the lamentations, Jeremiah, in prison, with Jerusalem falling to the Babylonians, writes this, Jeremiah 3.22, It is of the Lord's mercies, that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that whether in prison, in despair, without hope, or even in the trials we face, Lord, you know, we can have hope for your mercies are indeed new every morning. And as we behold the rising sun and in the day see it set, may we remember your covenant of the day and of the night and see how faithful you are day by day and moment by moment to know that we can rest and hope in you. We cry out to you. We worship you as we seek you now in this day. We praise your name. Amen.